Hi, everyone, and welcome to How to College, our podcast where we get together over some coffee and have some real conversations about what it's like to be a first-generation college student and what that means before, during, and after college. If you're a new listener, our goal here is to democratize knowledge that we've gained along the way, learn a bit more about what it means to be a first-gen, and hopefully help others going through some of the challenges that we've experienced before. My name is Joseph, I'm one of the podcast hosts, and I am the first in my family to go to college. Today, we'll actually be diving into the topic of imposter syndrome as a part of a three-part series where we'll get the perspectives of some first-gen friends and their experiences before, during, and after college. To preface, this is one of those topics that a lot of people in general struggle with throughout their lives and that first-generation students in particular have on their plate in addition to the many other things that we plan on discussing in the future. College can be stressful, being the first to do anything can be stressful, having both of those happen at the same time while others around you seem to get by effortlessly or have resources to pull on that have prepared them for this can be extra intimidating, and it can make you feel like you're out of place. If you feel different from those around you and less prepared for knowing what college actually is, just through circumstance really, it can make you feel like you need to fake it until you make it. As time goes on, it can feel a bit like a charade or like you're trying to be somebody that you're not, and it starts to weigh down. This is imposter syndrome. A lot of times, we feel it without really putting a name to it. It can make you doubt yourself, your achievements, and lead you into some thought patterns that can start small, but can then spiral and negatively impact your life, health, academics, and relationships with those around you. This series is an opportunity to explore this together. With that being said, let's dive in. First, we'll be talking with Karen Martinez, who recently graduated high school from the Audi International School in Houston, Texas, and will be starting at Rice University in the fall. Karen, can you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience? Hi, my name is Karen Martinez Perez. I'm 18 years old. I just graduated from the Audi International School in Houston, Texas, and I will be attending Rice University. And I'm hoping to study cognitive sciences and probably double major in linguistics. And I am a first-generation student. So my parents didn't go to college and neither did my two brothers. So that's really awesome. Could you tell me a little bit more about why you applied to Rice? Honestly, it was a lot of things that just kind of pointed towards Rice. At my school, we have a limit of 10 colleges that we can apply to. So Rice was my number one choice. And that was because they offered subjects that I wanted to study. So with the cognitive sciences, it takes an interdisciplinary approach to learning more about the mind. And so I liked that I didn't have to choose between neuroscience and psychology and linguistics, and I could just like tie it all in together. And then linguistics was mostly kind of like a personal thing because I've studied languages as languages, but then linguistics takes like the scientific approach to studying those languages. It's kind of like a meta thing. And so that really interests me. And Rice was able to offer that to me as well as offer really good financial aid support, which was a pretty big deal for my family, simply because we've already invested so much in my Audi education. So then looking at colleges and then also with the prospect of maybe I want to apply to graduate school, you know, like money was a pretty big issue for me. And Rice thankfully has a program that offers a lot of financial aid to people with lower incomes. 
and that helped me qualify for that. And then also Rice was kind of close to home. It was actually the only in-state school that I ended up applying to. So my parents really wanted me to get accepted into Rice. They wanted to keep me kind of close. So there was that. And I think it was also just the familiarity of the region. I'm pretty familiar and comfortable with Houston. So I was fine with that. And yeah, just a bunch of other opportunities that are made available through Rice. And also a really big thing that stood out to me about Rice was, and as well as the other colleges that I had applied to, was the fact that they cultivate a collaborative environment rather than a deep, cutthroat, intense place that I did not want because I don't need that extra stress while trying to go through college. You make a lot of really good points. It's a very holistic way of thinking about where you want to apply to college and thinking about what you want to study and what you want to do in the future. So do you know what you want to do after college? I know that I want to do something in the mental health field, whether that's actually going to graduate school. I'm not sure because I really like doing research in general. And I've had experience doing research in chemistry, which isn't quite the same. But then I also have research experience a bit in psychology through Audi and our IB course. Or I might be interested in actually becoming a therapist. I don't really know. (laughs) I know that I want to do something with the mental health field and particularly focusing on the Hispanic Latinx community because of the very prevalent stigma that's still present in our culture. And that's a pretty big deal to me. And that's what has drawn my attention. And in high school, I was the chapter president for our school's Active Minds chapter. And basically the mission of that is to change the conversation about mental health. And so through that, that definitely helped me realize maybe this is something that I might want to keep on doing. It became more than just a club that I was a part of. It was something that very much motivated me. That's really cool. I think that's both, you have an idea of what you want to do and it's really centered around a topic rather than a specific role. Like you said that you might want to go into the academic route, you might want to go the clinical route, you might want to go more of like an applied route, but you want it all to be centered around mental health and ideally a focus on the Latinx community. I think that's really cool. That's a really good direction that I think not a lot of people have at your age. And you got those experiences in high school doing research, not even necessarily around that specific topic, but just kind of understanding what research is, how it works, and if you might like it. And then also getting experience with psychology specifically. Yeah, I know that I'm definitely fortunate to have had the experiences that I did that kind of pointed me and helped guide and shape that. And I think the reason why I'm not super focused or worried about where exactly am I taking this is because I want to keep that open mind just in case I change my mind because I know that it is very possible that maybe something comes along the way and then, oh, all of a sudden, these plans that I've made have shifted and I don't want to confine myself too much too early on. So I think that's also why I'm keeping it general. I think that's a really good approach. I would probably recommend that for more people that are in your situation as well. I think that it's important that you be open to all those things, but still have a general idea of the direction that you want to go in. Also, I think that part of it is you're lucky enough to have some of those experiences. You're also ready to do the work of diving into those experiences. You also joined the extracurricular centered around mental health. And I think that's an example of you doing something above and beyond the bar. 
it definitely has been hard at times. And very often, <laughs> I do think like, oh, what if my life was different? What if I had just done AP courses, you know, transferred out of Audi, done AP or even done self-taught, but my choices have been made. I did what I did. And I'm happy where I am now. We kind of floated around some specific things that actually really relate to today's topic of imposter syndrome specifically. In terms of your interest in mental health, you taking different options and exploring those options in a way that doesn't necessarily limit yourself. And it seems like you really are able to think of yourself as a confident and capable person. And it's related to imposter syndrome in that that's what you should be doing. But whenever you're not able to do that, you end up kind of living the imposter syndrome life and having that affect you. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's also kind of how you appear to others versus how you really feel. So I've been told, oh, you seem like you have your life all in control and you're doing this and you're doing that. And I'm like, yeah, I am. But at the same time, I still do feel those signs of imposter syndrome. And especially when I'm doing certain activities or when I was a part of certain programs, I would definitely have moments where I would doubt myself. And it'd be like a split second, even like it's a surreal moment of should I even be here? And those really catch you out of nowhere. But on the outside and looking at it as an overview, you definitely don't pick up on that immediately, I'd say. For instance, last summer, I was a part of the Welch Summer Scholars Program, which is how I got chemistry research experience. What they do is they have thousands of applicants in Texas. And then for the branch that I was in, which was located in at the University of Texas in Austin, they only selected 10. We had 10 students, five girls, five boys. Whenever we were getting to meet each other, I was realizing just how smart these other individuals were. And they seemed so casual about it. But then for me, I just couldn't help but to compare myself to them. And so many times I thought, wait, why am I here? How was I even selected? How am I able to be a part of this program? We had someone who had done science competitions and placed really well, someone who had already been part of other research labs, someone who was getting really high testing scores and stuff like that. And just like GPA wise, over the summer, we were also working on our college applications and we would try to help each other as well. So then there's also bringing up, oh, what subjects are you taking? What grades are you getting in this course? And so whenever I would hear that talk, like I wouldn't really participate a lot in the conversation. I tried to distance myself because I knew that in my mind, I kept on thinking, wait, why am I here? I think also another thing was, is that a friend of mine from my school had also applied to the program, but she wasn't accepted. And in my eyes, she was smarter than me. So then I kept on feeling guilty and feeling like, wait, why am I here? Like, why do I get to be a part of this experience that would come up? I think that was the most prominent case that I ever had of imposter syndrome, aside from when I got my acceptance to Rice. <laughs> what happened there? So I go to a really small school. Our graduating class was about slightly less than 150 students. So pretty small compared to a regular Texas public school. And everyone knows everyone, essentially. And I remember because I had applied early decision, it was in December, and they had released it on a Thursday night. And I was actually still at school working on a chem lab. And then I got the email, an update has been posted to your admissions portal. See now. And I was like, no, I'm waiting until I get at home until I'm 
safe in my room and then I'll check it because I did not know what to expect. I felt really hopeful, but I also didn't want to get my hopes up too much, you know, especially because Rice for me was one of my reach schools. I was cleaning up my lab and then a friend of mine called on the phone and she had also applied to rice and she was like oh did you check your admissions portal and i was like no 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 no. i'm going to wait until tonight until i feel more comfortable because right now i cannot be checking it and she was like oh okay well best of luck but she didn't say whether she had gotten accepted she did and i'm actually rooming with her but at the moment she did not tell me in the moment i thought she probably got accepted. I wouldn't be surprised if she got accepted. I got home. I called some of my friends. We were all on the phone. And I was like, okay, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to check it. And then I saw the blue confetti and I was screaming. I was like, oh my God, I'm actually going to rice. But the more I said it, the less I was believing it. It just sounded like my voice saying it. Like I could hear my voice saying it, but in my heart, I didn't really believe it. And then the next day at school, it was a Friday and it was actually our tree lighting ceremony the holidays and everyone was in this festive Christmas spirit and that Thursday had been I think a lot of other schools had also released their early decisions and so the halls were just oh my god congratulations I heard you got into this university I heard you got into this and then so many people were coming out to me saying oh I heard you got into rice like good job like that's crazy and total there had been two other people who had gotten in ED it was the girl who had called me my friend and then another guy and they I definitely know that they are very smart and so then whenever I found out that it was us three I also once again found myself in why me like how is it that I was also accepted when these two were also accepted I was waiting for that Miss Venezuela moment like they'd take away my crown and be like oh we actually meant to send it to a different Karen sorry about that mess like I was waiting for that email for so long I kept on thinking this has to be a mistake like there's no way but then everyone was just like yes you totally deserve it you're such a hard worker you're so smart and this and that I kept on wanting to believe them but I also didn't want to get my heart broken and even now like I still don't believe that I'm going to rice so I don't think it's really going to hit me until I'm sitting in a classroom on campus and then I'll be like wow like I'm actually a student here you know so there was definitely that moment of am I actually going to rice am I and then I get the rice letters and the rice shirt and everything and then I'm wow like okay so maybe I am (laughs) but it was still this moment of why was I the third person because I knew of a couple other students who had also applied and who had gotten rejected early decision why wasn't I rejected they didn't have to take on three like they could have just taken on those two so it was very much that self-doubting moment and that nagging voice in my head I mean now I'm slowly becoming a bit more comfortable but really I don't think until I'm sitting in a classroom on campus I'll really like process it that I'm going to rise both hilarious and very relatable I think I remember like walking around campus and how am I here right now I think it's weird that I'm here right now Where do you think that feeling comes from? I don't know whether if it stems from or if it's just further fueled by my anxiety. I was diagnosed with anxiety back in freshman year. Before then, I had had moments where I would have panic attacks and things like that. I think I'd rather say that it was fueled by that because I would think in my head, why am I here at Audi? Because even being at Audi, I had small minor moments of imposter syndrome. To preface that, in elementary school, I attended a small public school out here in the country. It was a newer school, so we had a clean reputation. In my classes, though, I'd find myself bored often because I 
was done with the lesson early. And so then they placed me into the gifted and talented program. So basically, I would just skip class, play these mind games, do whatever activities they thought seemed best for me. And I was in that program with one other boy. And it was just the two of us. And we knew, oh, yeah, it's GT time. Let's go. I think that also kind of set me up a bit for bad study habits because I got in the habit of, oh, yeah, I don't really have to work too hard. It's just I do my assignment, turn it in, whatever. The reason why I applied to Audi was completely by chance, actually. At the time, I was taking violin lessons at Suzuki Academy, and my mom had met another mom in the waiting room, and they were talking, and then she found out that I really liked to learn languages because at the time, I was taking French classes and Mandarin classes on Saturdays. And she was like, wow, like, if your daughter is so interested in languages, check out this school called Audio. They have an amazing language program. For my family, it was kind of like a why not. So if you get accepted, you'll go. If you don't, no big deal. We'll move you to Magnolia Middle School because my parents didn't want me to continue in the same district because after elementary, no offense, but <laughs> they don't have the best reputation, I'll say. And so they didn't want that kind of environment for me. So they were like, yeah, we'll just moved to a different district. But I did get accepted into Audi. And I think being around those students occasionally did make me think about my identity. I never felt self-conscious about my identity until sixth grade. Obviously, it's a time like, oh, puberty. And so hormones, whatever. Middle school is a crazy time. But then also, I was one of the very few low-income students. And all of these other students, their parents are engineers, they're doctors, they're this, they're that, you know, very high paying jobs, and they're very well off. And they're going on trips to Italy for the week or whatever. And I never experienced any of that because my dad, he's a concrete worker, he has his own little business and that he has for other employees. But one thing that my parents very much enforce in me is to stay humble. And so being around a community like Audi, like I definitely had to remind myself, it was a humbling experience. Experience. This winter break, I'm staying at home. I'm helping my parents with whatever they need. I'm not going on some European backpacking trip or whatever it is that these other students were doing. I think that was just like that sense of not belonging. But then I sought to prove myself academically. But because I had that experience in elementary school where I just felt like I was already at the top of my class, in Audi, it was a different experience of having to actually put in the work to be a little bit above average or even just barely average, you know? So there was that experience. And then for Audi, I was there since sixth grade. So I was there for middle school and then I was also there for high school. And so then transitioning into high school, it just added that other element of, okay, competitiveness, trying to get into college, this and that. Especially being a first-gen student, my parents didn't know how to help me with that. They never had to either help their children before or also themselves. They didn't go to college. So that was mostly just me figuring that out on my own. But then also with the help of a very amazing college counselor, she helped me a lot. Figuring that out and navigating through that, especially with college admissions, I feel it's it's really, really hard not to compare yourself to other students because oftentimes you feel like you are reduced to just the number, whether that's like your testing score or whether it's like your GPA or your rank or whatever. That moment can be very harsh on yourself if you don't take an active approach and think like, oh, I'm more than just this number, you know, like I'm actually a person. 
I'm not just defined by my grades. And so that was also another experience where I had to keep on reminding myself of that. It was all these smaller moments where my anxiety would start to peak. And then I'd have to think, why am I thinking of myself like this? Why am I comparing myself? It came to a point where it was just out of habit. I couldn't help but to compare myself and to think, why am I worthy of even being in this space affected me throughout my education so far. I would say that it was mostly related to the educational setting. I think you're right. It does come down to the educational experience that you have had throughout your life and the variances in that educational experience that have contributed to a little bit of that imposter syndrome and that anxiety that you're feeling. It's all these different situations in life that you really have no control of. You seem to do a really great job of recognizing the fact that there are these things that are not up to your control. I think it was really interesting that you said you experienced imposter syndrome in short blips to where you felt like, why am I here right now? Why didn't they get in? This must be a mistake. It comes subconsciously, and then it turns into a conscious thought. I don't want to think about that. This is not a good thought. Let me just focus on what I can really do. And let me try not to think too much about that. And I thought it was really interesting that you took the approach of comparing your middle school experience to your high school experience, especially going from a small and new elementary school that didn't really have a very well-developed, gifted, and talented program at all. And I can totally see that building up a lot of confidence in you and even maybe potentially some cockiness. (laughs) I'm not saying that I see cockiness in you right now. I just mean that I can totally see this middle schooler who gets all their work done before everybody else and then gets to go effectively play games that day or the rest of that hour, right? And then you going from that and where you're learning violin and you're learning languages on your Saturdays, which is very impressive to see anybody do in middle school whenever the norm is just Saturday morning cartoons, right? Because of that, you end up getting not exactly pushed, but more so recommended to go to this high school that is an elite performing high school for international studies and really aligns with your interests at the time as a sixth grader. And whenever you get there, you're then pulled from this other environment of probably a small town environment where you kind of know everybody there. You probably have your friends there. And then you're getting pushed into this other environment And like you said, all these other things are going on at the same time where you're reaching puberty and your brain is just kind of going haywire and your body and the hormones and all that is just causing a bunch of chaos in general. And you're also taking yourself out of one environment, being dropped into a new environment, and those environments are definitely not the same. Part of the first story was that you identify with that environment and you have those friends, but you're also somewhat segmented from that environment in that you're an outlier. And then you get put into the second environment and you're also an outlier, right? You're first generation. You didn't go to the rest of school like with those other classmates. They're from pre-K 3 through 12. So a lot of them knew each other for years and years, maybe even just like one or two years, but still. I know that sixth grade is one of the biggest opening points for them where they have about like 20 or 30 new students. I didn't know anyone at all because I wasn't from the area either. Yeah, so you're not from the area. You're being put into like this new environment and you're also feeling a little bit out of place. You're having to work more. Basically. 
for probably first time in your life, right? Everything beforehand, you were basically working on easy mode and you get dropped into a new environment and basically it just turns into like hard mode real quick and it just ends up staying that way for the rest of your time through high school. And it's a psychological thing where you kind of have in-group, out-group where you either have some kind of commonality and you identify with that or you identify with the differences and that's really what you focus on. And it has a lot to do with how you then act upon that feeling and how you start to perceive those other people. Are they allies? Are they foes? Are you going to collaborate with them? Are you going to associate with them? Are you going to learn with them and grow with them? Or are you going to keep separate and thus basically limit your environment, limit the people that you're around, limit the exposure that you have to other things outside your group that is then more similar to you are, and so less diversity and potentially less learning, right? Probably got to make a lot more friends throughout your time at Audi. And hopefully you started to feel a little bit more like a part of the bigger group. I can totally see small things here and there that would come up every once in a while that you might even forget about where it's like, oh, what are you doing this summer? I'm just chilling at home. Like, what about you guys? I'm going to go backpack through the Alps with my family. (laughs) I can definitely see a lot of that. So that's very relatable. I'm glad you actually got that experience in high school, though, because I think that it's really hard to deal with multiple things at once as you go along in life, right? And as academics get more and more rigorous as you go along, it's better that you get some of that social, cultural, new experiences out of the way earlier rather than later at the same time that other things are going on. So I think that you'll do really well at Rice because of that, and you'll be better prepared because of it. I know that definitely... Audi has helped with that whole getting the diverse experiences. So I'm very thankful for that. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that Rice is going to be a lot of fun for you. Also, are you doing the classes during the summer or anything? I am taking one class right now. The incoming freshmen are allowed to take maximum one. So I actually just started last Monday and I'm taking an anthropology course. And we're basically looking at media, culture and society. Did you just sign up for one or did they say everybody who's coming in can take like a class over the summer or did you have to seek that out? They sent us information about it. So they were like, if you're an incoming freshman, these are the courses that you're allowed to take out of all of these courses. I guess also since we're already talking about imposter syndrome as well, the other students in my class, I think all of them are seniors except for one sophomore. And then there's me, the incoming freshman. Like, we're a small class. We're only, I think, 12 or 13. But even that, I'm like, wait, why am I taking a class with seniors? Because I'm not used to that, you know? That concept seems so weird to me. And so I do remember, like, the first day of class on Monday, I was like, wait, what did I sign myself up for? (laughs) Especially because I'm jumping into this. We're getting readings and stuff like that. And I'm like, am I ready for this? Am I okay with this? And we're handling it fine so far. Three classes in, I'm still hanging in there. Are you noticing any things with imposter syndrome potentially hindering you with that? Or is it still more of like a subconscious thought that kind of keeps creeping up every once in a while? I had a phone call with a friend and he's a very close friend of mine. He's also going to Rice. We actually met each other because we're both going to Rice. And we were on the phone and he was being really nice and he was complimenting me and saying, you're a really smart person. But then I kept on saying, no, 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 don't say that. I'm not that smart. And I think during that conversation, that's when I realized that whenever I hear people say 
she's such a smart person. Like my mom, like she'll be like, oh yeah, my daughter's so smart. Or my brothers will be like, oh yeah, my sister's so smart. I see that as an expectation being set up. And so there's now this bar in place of this is how smart I am. I want to meet that expectation, but for me, I'd rather lower that bar to somewhere where I know that I can meet it. And so whenever people say, oh yeah, she's so smart, she does this, she does that, I'm like, no, 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 I'm not actually that good at that so that I can lower that expectation, meet that bar, and then possibly go a little bit more. So for me, the way that imposter syndrome really affects me, I realize, is that it doesn't always motivate me, but sometimes it'll limit my potential. And so I find myself limiting myself to something that's more comfortable for me rather than trying to use that as, oh, you know what, they think that I'm that smart. Let me work hard to be at that level or what I perceive as that level. And then everyone's happy. My friend, he helped me work through that. And I just found that so interesting. I knew that I felt the imposter syndrome, but I never really bothered to address, wait, so how is it manifesting itself in me? And so that conversation enlightened me that it's not motivating me. It's limiting my potential. Because we were talking about our disbelief that we got accepted into Rice. And so then he was like, but you speak five languages. Like how many people do you know speak five languages? And I was like, well, I don't speak them that well. I always don't give myself enough credit for that. He tries to remind me, like, you are worthy of whatever opportunity, being a into rice, whatever it is. But you got to give yourself a bit more credit. And I think that's the part that I mostly struggle with. And I'm really glad that you have somebody else to talk about that with and that you had that experience of recognizing the imposter syndrome in yourself and then having somebody reassure you that yes, you are smart, like objectively, you are smart. Just because you know, five languages doesn't mean that you are smart, it means that you also work very hard. And I think that that is something that's really important to recognize as well. The things that you've done are potentially easier because you are smarter, right? But at the same time, they're not easy in general, you've had to work very hard to work towards those things work through any barriers and to achieve what you've done. I think that's really impressive. And I think that you should definitely give yourself credit for that. How are you thinking about that? And how are you thinking about minimizing the effects of imposter syndrome? I very much rely on support systems. And I know that like it can look different for everyone. But for me, I definitely look towards my friends. And so my friends definitely help me with that. And I think also in general, like the environment that I'm in. So like I was saying, the reason why, one of like the big reasons why I like rice is because there is not that cutthroat intensity and there is that focus on collaboration. Knowing that I have a safe space to go back to, I think also definitely helps. And so my friends, I try to make a balanced group. So there are people there who listen and validate and know that, okay, yes, she's going through the imposter syndrome, and here's how I can help her. And so I think it's good to have that in the friend group, but also, you know, recognizing that I will have friends who are smarter than me, but that's okay. Just because they are smart or really good at one subject doesn't take away from the fact that I know this in a different subject, you know? And so someone can be smart, but that's not taking away from me also being smart or what they consider to be smart. And that's okay because, I mean, we can just help each other in our weaker areas and that's fine. I think just having that kind of a support system very, very much has an impact and has very much helped me navigate through that. Even as I gave like that example of having that phone call, like just having people there who like recognize that, that this is like what's going on, you know, that can definitely make a difference for someone. 
That's really good advice, relying on your support systems. And I think it's really interesting that you are a little bit more intentional about having diversity in your support system and that you have friends who are there to support you, friends who help you point out different things that you're struggling with and help you work through that. And then also different friends that might even challenge some of the thoughts that you're having with imposter syndrome, right? So that friend that is smart and that is currently getting a better grade than you in a certain subject. But I think that the approach that you're taking in somebody else being smart does not take away from yourself is a really good one. Life is not a zero-sum game. You can collaborate with somebody else and have your strengths and weaknesses complement each other in a way that you're able to do more than you would have independently, right? That's how trade works, right? Like you specialize in something, somebody else specializes in something different, and you're both able to trade and make it to like a higher equilibrium point, and everybody's better off because of it. No, I think that's really great that you're able to have that perspective really early on. And also, I think it's really great that you're able to talk about that so that way other people can hear that too, and other people can kind of take some of that and hopefully think about it a little bit more consciously and about like how their thoughts are shaping and how they can work to actively shape the thoughts that they have now and in the future to have a better environment, both inside of their head and outside of their head with other people. Right. It's not easy at first, because you do have to have that moment where, you know, you identify it within yourself, and you're like, okay, this is what's going on. And then taking that extra step of, okay, so here's what I can do about it. Here's what I should do. And I think for me, seeking help was a very hard step to do. And recognizing that I'm not alone, like not just a competition with everyone else. I knew that my friends were there for me. But I don't think I really understood that you matter, you're not alone, you can share these struggles with other people, because there are other people who are struggling. You're not the only one who is because sometimes it does feel like that. Sometimes it can be a very isolating effect. So I think that's very important in taking it step by step, but realizing and ultimately getting there and getting that help and having that system in place, I think is very, very helpful. I think that negative emotions in general, tend to perpetuate themselves a little bit and kind of make things worse. And I think that having that support system and having that conscious realization of the thoughts that you're having, that might not even be up to your control, right? So is there anything that you do reassure yourself? Or what do you do whenever you're feeling anxious or out of place? Now, it's a little different because of, you know, COVID. And because usually, like, I'd just be able to call up a friend and be like, oh, hey, like, let's go out. Or like if I'm at school and all of a sudden I'm feeling very stressed, then I'll be like, oh, okay, let's go for a walk. Let's like cool down. Like let's go around campus and just like chill out. But now it's, what I first tend to do is just distract my mind. So whether that's just play some music or watch something on Netflix, let that go. And then once I feel like in a better place, then I'll go back and address and think, okay, why was I upset? What is it that was making me so upset? Or why was I thinking those thoughts? Like what provoked it? And then just kind of taking those steps and realizing that, okay, we're okay. We're still here. You know, I'm still who I am. Nothing has changed. And just kind of centering myself again, reminding myself. You just kind of have to repeat that reassurance. I matter. I'm still here. And it's going to be okay. And at the end of the day, they're just thoughts. And most of the time, maybe someone said something, but that's not actually like how they intended it. 
It's just that that's how your mind processed it. You just really have to be conscious of that's all they are. They're just thoughts and they may not even be true. I agree. They're just thoughts. And a lot of the times your mood can impact the way that you perceive things from other people. If you're in a negative mood already, somebody says something, it might not have been their intention, but your interpretation of that depends on how you're feeling at the time and can then perpetuate that feeling or create a negative situation outside of your head. One thing another friend told me a while back was assuming positive intent was something that's very key whenever working with other people. And I think that goes back to Life is not a zero-sum game. Just because somebody gives you a piece of feedback doesn't mean that you should really take that to heart too much. It doesn't diminish who you are for making some kind of mistake or not being perfect in somebody else's eyes even. And I think that that's really important to recognize. Yeah, I think I've definitely struggled with that a bit more because I do tend to find myself being a bit of a perfectionist. And so I know that it's definitely hard to realize, you know, we're not perfect. We're never going to really be perfect. But I mean, you can try your best and that's enough. If you tried your best, that's fine. And just realizing that you might be setting up impossible standards for yourself, trying to make that a bit more reasonable. That definitely is a lot of work to recognize. And then also just keep on mentally reminding yourself of it's okay, if I just did this for the day, if this was my best effort, because it's really hard, but definitely a lot healthier for your mind. A lot healthier for your mind, and then also, in turn, helps you hopefully focus better and do better the next time. So I think that kind of goes back to the bar thing that you were talking about earlier, or the bar that other people have, and you were trying to knock that bar down a little bit, and it ended up squashing a little bit of your ambitions. I think that balance is very important. I try to think of things as happiness is reality minus expectations, and... If your expectations are too high, you're just going to be unhappy. If you expect perfection, then you're still going to be a little disappointed. And I think that it's really great to aim for something that is a bit of a stretch goal and to push yourself and keep trying to do the best that you can do, but also just to recognize that at the end of the day, I think we tend to think of ourselves and think of our ambitions and our goals in a way that is not necessarily human, that's very mechanical in nature. And assuming that we can work optimally all the time, 24-7, and that's not always the case. Things come up, sometimes we don't have great days, sometimes barriers come up, and it ends up taking a little bit longer than you thought it would. But you still made progress that day, and you still are working towards your goals. And if not, tomorrow is another opportunity. Do you have any advice for the audience on today's topic? Focusing on yourself and realizing that you're doing the best that you can do and not worrying so much comparing yourself to others, which is easier said than done, but just comparing yourself to your past self, I guess. So continually improving upon yourself and that's fine. That's really all you have to do. Other people can be doing that as well and maybe that's why they're better or smarter in some things compared to you, but you have strengths of your own and they have their own strengths, but they also have their weaknesses that might be your strengths and that's okay and then just taking that time to recognize that if you are in a place where you're struggling with it that you're not alone like there's so many of us who have felt imposter syndrome for whatever reason at whatever time and that it's okay to reach out and be like this is how I'm feeling and it's totally valid how would you sum up what we talked about today? Imposter syndrome can be very unsettling in the moment and whether it's just a moment or whether it lasts longer than that. But all of our lives are different. We have different life experiences. So you don't know what someone else is going through as well. And I think that that's important to keep in mind. Have the support systems, whatever that may be, whether it's 
in your friends, or maybe you rely on your family, or maybe you turn to religion, whatever it may be. But just taking care to address that, I think that's the healthiest way that you can go about addressing the imposter syndrome and whatever anxiety or whatever negative feelings might arise. Is there anything else that you would like the audience to know? It can be hard to address not only like the imposter syndrome, but also just like mental health in general, especially like depending on like your background. But there are people out there who want to help. And whenever you're ready to reach out for that, it's going to be there. I think that's a really good one. Because that's another one that we said before, but should probably be reiterated several times. Lastly, are you open to being contacted by our audience? Yeah, for sure. Well, that's it for today. Karen's experience with imposter syndrome started very young, with her contrast of her pre-sixth grade experience and post. Even as someone who is very articulate, high-performing, and quote-unquote ahead, she still often feels out of place or like she doesn't deserve the things that she's worked so hard for. Her experience early on has led her to develop some very solid skills in managing imposter syndrome. I think no matter your situation, we all have a little bit that we can learn from this story. Thanks again to our speaker for their time and sharing their stories, and thank you for listening in. Follow us on social media and share with us your experience or inexperience with imposter syndrome. You can find us at howtocollegefirstgen.org or at howtocollegefirstgen for Instagram and Facebook and htcfirstgen on Twitter. Let us know your thoughts and what you'd like to hear from us in the future. If you'd like to get in contact with one of our guests, be a guest, or have some feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Remember, you are not alone in this journey, and thanks for listening. Until next time.